Hey friends and fellow Buffy lovers, and welcome to our podcast, where we discuss each episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in detail, focusing on digging deep into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing. I'm Leah. I'm Sarah. I'm Tabby. And this is Becoming Buffy. Welcome back to What's My Line Part 1, the spoiler section we like to call Scooby Secrets. Um, I think this is only a handful of the episodes we've done where we split up, so it's kind of fun to be able to talk a little bit more in depth and not have to worry about cutting out too much, so you'll get more of our unfiltered thoughts on this episode, which is so super exciting. Just in case you didn't read the title of this, uh, just <laughs> fair warning, we will be talking about everything that has to do with Buffy. Uh, but also for the show Angel as well. So if you don't want to know spoilers, um, you can catch us for the part two of this episode next week. What's my line? Part two. You guys can also find us on Instagram at Becoming Buffy Podcast or email us at Becoming Buffy Podcast at gmail.com. Um, as far as our Instagram, it's just been really fun. We have some really cool posts. We write behind the scenes and spoilers and have some really good analysis with some of you guys there. It's just been really fun. So check us out and send us a DM. We'd love to hear from you guys. So uh, what's my line? Part one, spoiler section. This episode is interesting. We were talking about how it's very interesting to watch. There's a lot going on, but when it comes to analysis, there's not a ton to talk about simply because this episode is pretty much just setting up for the next episode. And we will definitely have a lot to say about that as well. That's what I was thinking too. Like there's not like, not that I picked up. There's not like a big metaphor or like a monster of the week. It's like introducing characters like Kendra for one, or like you see a little bit more of like Oz and Willow, but there's not like, Oh, here's this huge underlying metaphor to talk about the whole time. So it's a little bit harder to kind of pick out certain things, but there's definitely a lot to talk about when it comes to like the start of a lot of characters' arcs, which is really exciting to talk about finally. I think it's really interesting that they have career week ending on the same day that we discover that Kendra exists. Because mm -hmm. I'm sure like when you guys watched the show for the first time, I don't know if you remember or not how you felt when you first saw Kendra. Because for me, I was shocked. I had not thought at all about the fact that she had died and there was going to be another Slayer. Mm -hmm. Like I was completely floored and I was like, oh yeah, she died. There's going to be another Slayer. And I think that this is the moment that it feels like the show is starting to really shake things up and turn things on its head. Because like, what is it that we hear at the beginning of every episode? You know, one slayer in all the world, she alone. Like, whoa, this like changes everything. See, I remember having like a different feeling. I remember the first time I watched it thinking that it was kind of like an imposter. Oh, you didn't think she was a slayer? Yeah, mm -hmm. like I didn't think that she was a real slayer. Like I thought it was like maybe it was like a girl who had the memories of a slayer, which we've seen before, I think, on Angel. I just think it's funny because like uh, Lee has a hard time like, trusting people in general so i just thought it was funny that leah just like didn't believe kendra in the episode. Yeah, she's, like, she's not like, a real vampire slayer. she's lying no, I, no it's not because <laughs> of that it's it's just more so like i just really didn't think that if there was a slayer like another slayer that they would just kind of like pop up and not like i don't know send an email or something to giles and be like hey, <laughs> heads up, there's another slayer like they had another Slayer called, and they didn't inform the Watcher of the first Slayer? 
Like, that just kind of always seemed weird to me, that they were not in the loop. I'm just so trusting of people in general at first. It's funny, though. Like, I, my wall started to come up after I get to know somebody. When I first meet somebody, I just assume they're telling me the truth. But, like, when I watch shows, I'm like, even if Buffy hadn't died and she was like, I'm Kendra the Vampire Slayer, I'd be like, what? I would have <laughs> totally believed it. I would have eaten it up. That's funny. Well, it, you make a good point, Leo, because – you would think the Watchers Council like gets alerted from one of their watchers yeah. that one of the potentials is now activated. I'd be like on the first flight to Giles and be like, um, why didn't you tell me that your slayer died? Like what's going on no, here? Literally. Like yeah. it's like, hey, uh, why is this girl like on our front lawn saying that she's having dreams about becoming a slayer? Like, I thought yours was still alive. Like, how did they not communicate? with each other I, at all. I don't think anyone thought about it, though, because, like, as Buffy said in the next episode, she was dead for less than a minute. So, like, I would have never thought if I were, like, Giles be like, oh, like, there's gonna be another Slayer coming into town. Yeah. I think it's really interesting that the Watcher's Council, I mean, we see this throughout the entirety of the show, the Watcher's Council really does not care about the Slayers. And they say that their first mission is the Slayers. And they have, you know, an entire council over it. But really, it's about power. And it's about control. And that's why you see in Helpless, where you have, you know, that I forget what it is, that a ritual that they have to go through when they turn 18. And it's all about keeping them young, keeping them easily controlled. And so when they find out that, you know, Buffy died, they were probably like, eh, whatever. But I would say if they found out that, hey, we ha- now have two slayers, I'd be a little concerned because I'd yeah. be like, whoa, we could have like a whole army of slayers and that's well, not okay. Did they only find out about a second slayer when Faith was in town? That's because when we like, know that they knew about it, but crazy. They, they must Kendra have known Kendra was in existence that. for like a whole year and then she died and then they're like, oh, new slayers in town, it's Faith. No, I'm pretty sure they knew about it because they talk about how Giles has talked to Kendra's watcher and like think in the next episode or a couple episodes later when she comes back. So I think that oh, really? like the council I didn't pick that mm-hmm. up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think the council is aware of it, but they just don't care. It's just really interesting to me how like very uninvolved they are. Mm-hmm. Unless they think that one of the slayers is stepping out of line, then suddenly they're very involved. Yeah. It's yeah. Typical toxic behavior. Yes, exactly. You're fine as long as I can still control you. I'm not going to acknowledge your existence, but as soon as you do something out of line, all hell breaks loose. Well, I also think that it's like usually natural stuff happens to Slayers where like they don't live long enough to kind of question the council. Yeah, they're out mm-hmm. every night fighting vampires. The odds are stacked against them that they're going to die at some point, you know? Um, but I thought it was interesting that they have career week where Buffy's literally talking about how she has no future, whether that's she dies or her life is entirely slaying. And she even mm-hmm. sees like, and we talk about this in Lie to Me, when she talks about how she doesn't have a choice, she doesn't have a good choice, but she has a choice. Like Buffy recognizes that her choices are limited even in high school. Like she's having to choose between her normal life and her slaying life, and it's getting harder and harder. And when she's an adult, that's going to become even more difficult because you don't have that separation as much. It's just the lines get a lot blurred. Yeah, which I, I'm i going to kind of contradict Tabby and Sarah when I say this, but because both of them kind of no. said that one. I know. <gasps> don't worry. It's not that bad. But like <laughs> both of them kind of said that in this episode, they didn't see like a big overlying 
kind of theme, but I did. I kind of saw this as the beginning of the theme that we've been talking about for the season, which is becoming, Buffy becoming herself, becoming like fully a slayer. And part of that is like accepting the fact that being a slayer is not a job, it's who she is. And Mm. I really feel like we start to see the beginning, I guess, of Buffy's kind of being forced out of the mindset that being a slayer is a job. Like, I think that's why they have career fair, Mm -hmm. like trying to show like, no, Buffy, this isn't your job. It is your life. Like, that's why they bring in Kendra, like someone Mm -hmm. who only sees slaying as everything she does. Like, it is not, I think even in Becoming Bart 2, she says like, why are you talking about this? Like, it's your job. Like, yeah, you always do that. yeah, Yeah. Kendra is the person who really kind of forces Buffy to look at being a slayer as your life instead of your job. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I I, I disagree with the fact that there is an overarching theme. This episode is just hard to talk about because it mm-hmm. ties in so much with the next episode that it's very hard to talk about as a whole until we have finished the next episode, you know? But in the spoiler section, hey, we can talk about it. So it doesn't matter as much. It just, in the actual spoiler-free episode, it's a little bit more difficult because it's half an arc versus a full arc once you have the next episode. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's what I mean. Like, it's not like there's like this created like demon that they can fit into like a plot um that talks about like this one specific thing i do think that it kind of like starts the conversation of where the season's leading um but like it's not like oh like there's a oh here we go again there's a praying mantis that's like gosh like a teacher it's just the easiest it's the easiest to relate to um it's the easiest like metaphors too but it's you know like a teacher who's like you know sexually driven by underage men so like that's easy to like talk about but for this one it's like you you can only talk about it in the non-spoiler section because you know where it's gonna lead to yeah um but like as leah said it's like it's genius that they decided to bring in kendra for this episode because it shows the contrast of where Buffy's at right now and how she's dreading her future, how she's dreading the life of a slayer and just is so, is holding on so tight to her like normal life. Um, but I mean, this is probably why season two is like my favorite season. It's not as cohesive as season three, but you see Buffy have to just like face so many things about like herself and her future. And like, you see it like really kind of change her into a woman by the end of the season, which is just like perfectly named like becoming uh, but this is definitely like the tipping point, like when Kendra comes in, because like a lot of the female or if not all, like Sarah says, all the female characters are used to kind of like either mirror Buffy, have a, be a foil to Buffy or catapult her like character in some way. Yeah. I mean, Kendra is interesting because you have, we have Kendra, Faith and Buffy as the three main slayers until we get to season seven. And Buffy kind of represents the middle ground. You have Kendra on one side of the spectrum and then you have Faith on the opposite side. You have Kendra who's very much by the book. This is how you're supposed to be a slayer. And then you have Faith who's a complete rule breaker. And so Buffy is somewhere, some mesh of the two. And I think sometimes she swings from one end of the spectrum to the other, but she tends to be slightly more balanced. But it's interesting because we see Buffy in these next few episodes for the first time realize, oh, maybe I actually can have a normal life because Kendra's there. And so in her mind, Mm -hmm. it's very much like for the first time she has a glimpse of hope. And that's why becoming part one is so devastating because watching Kendra die, Buffy's realizing that 
it once again falls on me. Yes, she knows there will probably be another slayer that is that rises, but at the end of the day, like you don't know who that is. You don't know if they're going to be willing or capable, what kind of person they are. And it once again falls back on Buffy. And that's just like really hard and really isolating. Especially in season three, too, where she's having to be the moral one out of the two, doing her in faith and having to like make the hard decisions and, and do all the things that like that the other side of being of having like the slayer be a burden, but having somebody who's not as like moral and like good as Kendra. Like they're two very different like part time slayers. I don't I feel view Buffy as like the full time slayer. Um but like they're very different, but they also show like a different side of what Buffy is struggling with during that time and like what she has to face as a slayer. I think it's so sad too because it's like Every time I rewatch this, I always like forget about Kendra. And then I like rewatch it and I'm like, Kendra, like I missed mm-hmm. you. But then it's just so sad because like I forget how quickly Kendra and Buffy really connect. Um, and then it just makes me so sad because like Kendra is killed and then like Faith comes in and you see Buffy really try with Faith. Mm-hmm. And you can tell she's trying because she knows how impactful a relationship between a Slayer and a Slayer can be. And so when the whole thing with Faith just doesn't work out the way she would have wanted it to, like, it just always breaks my heart because it's like the Slayer that she did get along with died. And the one that she doesn't get along with, like, ends up turning evil. And, like, it's just so sad. Yeah. I liked what you mentioned earlier, Tabby, about how Kendra tells her that she acts like slaying is a job because we've seen that in school hard when she looks in the mirror and she says, I have a job. Like she really does view slaying Mm -hmm. as, as this is like separate from my normal life. Like it is different. And I think Kendra's trying to tell her, no, you need to really meld the two. Like slaying needs to be your life. Everything else is secondary. And I think that that's kind of what Giles has been trying to tell her since season one, but Giles does kind of veer more towards this is your job this is your calling versus this is who you are and i feel like the turning point for that and i feel like this is such a typical episode to kind of point that to and becoming part two but it's not the scene that you'd think it would be because everyone's like and i absolutely adore the scene where like angel talking to her has that whole speech and she's like me um but i feel like the part where she kind of like chooses being a slayer is when she's talking to Joyce and she is like telling her like, I'm not crazy. This is who I am. I have to do this. I have to go save the world. And like her mom gives her the choice of being like, do you want your normal life staying here with me and like living your life how you're supposed to as a teenager. But if you walk outside, you're choosing that life and you can't come back and she decides to leave. And so it's just like, I mean that whole scene has like five different metaphors in one, but (laughs) that one moment is like, it's so full circle for what we're dealing with, especially in this episode too. And then it catapults and starts in like lie to me, which we talked about in lie to me, but it's like, ah, gosh, this, the season is just, it's my favorite. It's so good. And like, just like from, I mean, I keep saying this, but it's like from here on out, (laughs) but like, this really does start a lot more of like the deeper conversations The um, you see the inner struggles with Buffy and like, Kendra is a huge foil to her and I don't know. It's just so good. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, There's like something I've been wanting to talk about, but I, as we've been rewatching and re-going through the show, 
I really wanted to pay special attention to Spike's curiosity about Buffy. And when mm-hmm. that That's turned, a good word. <laughs> yeah, when that turned from a not necessarily the word I'd use. Okay, well, in the beginning, it was like a. I know, yeah, yeah, I'm joking. Like, I don't know the way that like it's just interesting. I really want to like see when it changed from being like a oh like she's a slayer, I want to kill her and add that to my roster to like this girl has gotten under my skin. Um, and it's just so interesting because like there's that scene where him and Drusilla are. In, I think, Drusilla's room. And, like, Spike is, like, just angry. And he's just, like, it's a slayer. Like, she keeps doing this. Blah, 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 blah. And he's, like, he just sounds very defeated. And it's very opposite how we have seen Spike up until this point. Like, he's just very frustrated and, like, seems like he's, like, been kind of beaten. Um, And then he, like, kind of makes a rash decision to just get people to kill her. And, like, I remember hmm. the first time I watched this, I was like, wow, that really does not seem like something Spike would do. Like, he really seems like the type that would want to have fun and blah, blah, blah. And you can say, like, oh, he was trying to protect Drusilla. Um, but I really just think that this is kind of one of those turning points where he's starting to just kind of – Buffy's getting under his skin and just kind of wants her gone. And, like, we see this kind of worked in different ways all throughout the show – until he realizes he's in love with her, where Buffy just keeps getting under his skin, and he's like, I don't want you there. I think he's manifesting his emotions towards her in a completely different way. So I feel like he's, like, kind of, like, obsessed with her, but in a kind of like how Angelus was, but, like, he doesn't know why, and so he's, like, he doesn't know how to handle his emotions because he's, like, straight evil at this point. So he's like, I'm just gonna kill her. And especially, like, in um Fool for Love, it's like he's struggling between both those parts of um soulless bike where he's like i want to kill her i hate her and then it's like i'm in love with her um i don't think he's in love with her at this point but i think that like he's definitely like leah said like he she's definitely under his skin and like and full for love like what leah said like uh drusilla they have the whole scene after they leave sunnydale and she's like you're all covered in her and that's supposed to be right after they leave sunnydale so that's really interesting leah that you said you've been clocking that because that's that's so true because it's like why was he like going off the rails when it's like he could just pick his timing and kill her at some point but he just was like i have to kill her now yeah well let's think about what we know of spike from the entirety of the show he is motivated when women reject him and so i think that you know he's initially rejected by cecily and that rejection is what drives him to Drusilla because he wants to be someone who is worthy of Cecily. He wants to be more than just beneath her. He wants to be powerful. And so that's what feeds his entire Spike um, costume, if you will, because he puts on a macho, a very strong persona to appear very different from William Pratt. And so- His last Spike- name's Pratt? Yeah, William Pratt. What? Mm-hmm. The things you learn. <laughs> they say that in season seven, I'm pretty sure. I have no idea. That's yeah. Um, but he wants to be he wants to be someone who is seen as strong, which is why he's also very like um he puts on a show a lot in school hard. He like talks about being manly. I think deep down Spike is deeply insecure personally. I think that oh, yeah. he doesn't 
he struggles with powerful women. And I think that when he sees Buffy beating him, he's not used to a slayer being able to beat him. He's already killed two slayers. Like he's purposely sought out slayers because he wants to dominate and kill them. And so having Buffy beat him is not something he's used to. And it's kind of reducing him to the weak man that he was before he became Spike. And I think that's rattled him and he doesn't like that. He's uncomfortable with it. And so he's like, I want to kill her and I want her gone. And at this point, like he doesn't even care if he's the one that kills her. And that's huge because up till now, Spike's been like, I want to kill her. I want to kill her. And he's tried, but now he's willing to even let somebody else kill her as long as she's Mm -hmm. gone because she's the thorn in his side, you know? Yep. Anyway, yeah, I actually wrote that down. I I wrote down, he says, I'll dance with you, pet, on the Slayer's grave. And I think it's really interesting because Spike never dances over Buffy's grave. He cries cries. over Buffy's grave. (laughs) I thought about that, too. I was like, ah. That's not going to (laughs) happen. Yeah. You wish, bud. Um, And I also wrote down that Spike treats Drusilla as if he actually does love her. And then later on, the judge says that Spike smells of humanity. And I Mm -hmm. think that's a really interesting thing to note because Joss Whedon wrote vampires to be completely like – full of demon and not have any humanity. And that's what Giles tells us in the beginning. However, I firmly believe that that's not what Buffy tells us. I think that that's a misconception that the watchers probably have in their books, but that vampires actually do retain a part of their human selves. And that's why Angel struggles so much. Well, I was going to bring that up because I like, I feel like that's always been something that I was, I've always been very confused about because Buffy has always been like, um, vampires are like they're supposed to represent the most corrupt horrible people that like cannot be changed and so when you dust them it's not supposed to be like oh the slayer is a killer it's like this was a demon they're killing and so that's how we're supposed to view vampires but i've just never understood that it was kind of felt like it was inconsistent with how spike was portrayed because it's like you see angelus which was awful horrible but also like Spike was like that, but we just didn't see him like that as much. Um, but then we saw parts of him where you see that tug and pull. So I've just always been very confused about that. And it's interesting that you bring that up, Sarah, because it's like Joss says that, but then the show tells us something different. I think that ultimately the way that I've seen it is like, or viewed it, is the fact that like, one, vampires are just like more evil, awful versions of what they were before they were vampires. So like, we see that Spike or William, when he was like normal, not a vampire, like was still very mo- much motivated by passion and love, but he was also very insecure and blah, blah, blah. And then when he's a vampire, he's like very confident all over the place. But he, deep down, he's still that kind of like version of himself where he's insecure and motivated by passion. But I, I think the way that I've always viewed it is like, Vampires are just ultimately very selfish. They will serve themselves no matter what. And we see that, and obviously we'll talk about this more when we get to between the relationship of Buffy and him, but we see that when he doesn't have his soul, even when he's trying to love Buffy, mm-hmm. it is always self-motivated when he doesn't have his soul. Like, even though I don't even think he's trying to, it is always motivated for himself even with like drusilla he loves her but like ultimately it's still a selfish love yeah and i i honestly believe that vampires they 
are all different and unique. Like some probably retain more sense of humanity than others. Cause the same judge who says that Spike has humanity says that Angelus has absolutely no humanity. So I think that there is, or at least goodness, I think that there is a difference between a variation between vampires and how much goodness or I, I won't even say goodness because I don't think vampires have any goodness, but how much humanity is actually in them. So it's just, That's, it's an interesting, yeah. it's an interesting thing to think about and discuss. That's interesting too. Cause I, I was about to say, I was like, maybe it, it depends on how much they were emotional as human beings. So like, um, like William was like an incredibly emotional as we saw was a poet. So he's very in tune with his emotions. So when he became a vampire, since he is, ingrained to be very in tune with his emotions emotions are very much tied to humanity so that could bring out a lot more humanity in him when he is a vampire but then it's like when you think about angel like he was very in tune with his emotions too but in a very different way like like i wouldn't ever say that like angel not angelus wasn't like i don't know like self-aware or emotionally aware i don't know because it's like i don't view angel as like emotionless but yet him as angelus is like completely but angel is a completely different person than liam because he even though he had his soul restored to him he still has the demon inside of him fighting so angel is some sort of um combination of angelus and liam because he still has to fight those urges within himself and so i think that i believe a vampire just brings out the evilness that is in our own hearts and makes it that much more ugly and apparent and takes out any semblance of goodness. And I think that um, William Pratt or Spike, we saw him as being a some sort of a good man. Like he loved his mother. He loved Cecily. He actually like was a sensitive and kind person versus Liam or Angel before he became Angelus was a horrible person. He was awful to his father. He never worked hard. He was selfish. He was lazy. He slept around, like all this stuff. So I think that that who you were in your your previous life before you become a vampire factors in a ton into who you are as a vampire as well. Yeah, very interesting. I mean, even look at Harmony. Yeah, right? Harmony retained a lot. She just became incredibly, well, she became more selfish than she was before and more biting and yeah, and more insecure. Also, I wanted to bring up the fact that, um, so Buffy, when she took her quiz, said that she was going to be a cop. And then she ends up being a cop in the comics, which I feel like if there's a lot of things to crap on about the comics, but at least they're consistent in her character in this way. Cause I feel like, I almost feel like she would have been better if she was like, um, a consultant or like somebody kind of like, I don't know if Leah said it on like the podcast last week or not. But, like, somebody who could kind of, like, help fight evil, but not be, like, in, like, a around authority who are kind of, like, watching her every move. Because I feel like if you're a cop, like, you can't get away with as much and she can't do things her own way. Yeah, if she's a private eye or something, she could yeah. definitely be her own person and have her own hours. I wrote that when Buffy is patrolling and hears the hammers in the mausoleum, she says, does rest in peace have no sanctity to you people? Which is hilarious because in Once More With Feeling, Spike sings rest in peace to Buffy, where he's begging her to let him be and let him rest in peace. So it kind of let like rest in flipped. Peace. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like Buffy's, you know, words are used against her. 
Let's talk about this scene in Buffy's room with her and Angel, where she sits down on the bed and looks into the mirror and doesn't see Angel sitting next to her. Because I'm trying as hard as I can in the spoiler-free version to like not give away too much of what's going to happen, but the yeah. show is making it very, obvious, very that obvious that their relationship that, yep. is doomed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Literally since like the first episode. Literally. Yeah, since Angel, when she burns the cross in his- Yeah, first episode, yeah, and Angel in season one. She's like painful isn't it one of us has got to go here they're like i know and then none of them even leaves until they physically have to and it's like hurting them the lowly definition of their relationship yeah and i think it's interesting that the show constantly shows us how buffy and angel struggle with the same thing and i think i've Mm -hmm. said this before but at the end of the day buffy is going to be alone and that is really like important because that's part of buffy becoming herself becoming the slayer because when we get to you know the finale buffy doesn't even have angel anymore she has angelus and she has been kicked out by her mom and her friends are not there to support her and help her because they can't they're not strong enough it really is definitely down to buffy and so i think her looking into this mirror foreshadows her aloneness in the finale and really the rest of the show who are we kidding but you know what i mean yeah also, like, re-watching the older episodes, and I know this isn't the show's fault because they didn't know what they're going to do with Angel's character and, and, like, the strength and everything. But it's, like, when they do, like, when they have, like, certain scenes because they want to push point, like, a certain portion in either, like, the episode or the show. But it's, like, so obviously only put there so that it's used for the episode. I'm, like, come on. Like, like the part where Kendra kind of pushes him into, like, the locked door. I'm, like, oh, yeah. he just sat there and I was, like, he could just run up Watching the show Angel, he does way more. People do way more crazy things and he gets out of it. I'm like, this makes no sense. He could easily lock that thing down. He was there for hours. It looked like he wasn't even trying. I was like, Well, what? yeah. And as the show goes on and even into the show Angel, the how sunlight affects them becomes Changes less so and less. Yeah. It definitely still affects them, but it's like it takes a lot longer for things to happen. And I mean, Angel walks around in sunlight that is brighter than that (laughs) and it's not affecting him so yeah the show is inconsistent in that but at the same point like we still love it and it doesn't at least for me it doesn't affect my watching of the show as much so i i have all of some issues with the show angel but i think one thing that just oh really do you i haven't heard this before i know i was just gonna say like one thing that just always was kind of like to me was that even though angel is a normal vampire and as far as we know about vampire strength in Buffy, they don't really get increasingly stronger. Like, it's kind of like you're either strong and intelligent or you're not. Because, um, like, in Vampire Diaries or other shows, like, the older you are, the more strong you are. Or I think it's um, Twilight where you're strong when you are first transitioning. Like That's when you're at your strongest. Um, oh. I could be Leo wrong. Leah would that. know. Leo would know I don't watch. Yeah. (laughs) I like Twilight, but um I think that comes up every episode. (laughs) Leah's like, I like Twilight. (laughs) You could correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that that's what happens in Twilight. All that being said, it has never made sense to me why Angel is so unbelievably strong on Angel, even though he's a normal vampire. Like he takes down like really insane threats. And has just like, like he just gets a little unbelievably strong for me. Well, let's, let's take a look at it. 
At this point in his life, Angel has been feeding on rats in sewers for years and years and barely has seen people. And then season one of Buffy is him kind of like accepting that he can actually be a part of normal human life now. And he's like starting to actually drink good blood, not just rat's blood. He has a home, like he isn't living in the sewers. Um, And he now has a purpose, which that will make you stronger. Season two, it's been shown over and over again that Angel's love for Buffy makes him stronger and her her love for him makes him stronger. They're good for each other. Kind of piggybacking on that, Sarah, I feel like the we see on Buffy, especially like in The Freshman, for season one, we see emotion kind of tie into the strength of characters in the show. So I really believe they do that with Angel, especially on his own show. He gets stronger as the seasons go on. And I feel like it's consistent with the show because he finds his own purpose outside of Buffy. So like you see, like what Sarah said, you see him tied to his like emotion and love with Buffy and he gets stronger and he has purpose through that. Then he has to go through like his like, Hard time because the whole first season of Angels like repercussions from the show Buffy. So he's getting over Buffy. He's like working through things. And then season two, he kind of has to go through his shift of like figuring out what his purpose is. And then after that, he kind of like gets much stronger physically as a character and as his own character in general. And I really think that's because he's also finding his own footing on his own. Like even in um, season five, the one where like Fred dies. He's, like, joking around with Spike, walking around with a huge sword in his stomach, like, acting like it's nothing. Whereas, like, in the first season of Buffy, he gets shot once and he's out. Like, he's gone. Someone hits him with a shovel and then bam. I I know, (laughs) yeah. Or, like, Jenny, like, throws a cart at him in passion and he tumbles over, you know, things like that. Where it's, like, you kind of see it because, like, he's been out of sorts for 100 years and he's slowly gaining stuff back. But it kind of makes sense to me. Yeah, I mean, and I think there is a slight stretch there, just like the sword and the sunlight and other things like that. But I think an argument could be made that Angel now has his family, his chosen family, Wesley, Cordelia, and Gunn, um, and Fred. And then over time, and then even Connor eventually, which, yeah, yeah I know, <laughs> baby Connor, I mean, we'll just say baby his- Connor. He's not his chosen family. <laughs> yeah, his okay. Family. <laughs> yeah, okay. If he was, we wish he could unchoose him. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that over time, Angel does become stronger because he's surrounded by people. He has a purpose. And I mean, we're going everywhere, but like that's how he ends up losing his soul again is because his world is all, it's perfect. You know, he has, um, he saved the world. Cordelia loves him. His son loves him. All that other stuff. And so in his mind, it's all perfect. But anyway, we will we will get to that. We were kind of like going way off the beaten track. Before we leave off the angel track, I was going to say the scene in the bar yes. really, really, really reminded yeah. me. I like I wrote in my notes. I was like, this is the first little taste of like Detective Angel. Yeah. Um, but I loved seeing it. Like I loved seeing Angel. Be one, be a little bit stressed for Buffy, um, but just two, also like do things on his own, giving him a yeah. little bit more development as a character. Like it's just 
it was nice to see. Uh, honestly, I thought this was our first like taste of Angelus because mm, he was true. in the shadows there and Willie was like, oh, Angel, I didn't notice you in the – or I didn't recognize you in the shadows there. And I think that's a total foreshadowing to mm. Angelus later on in the in the, in the season. Like, And the way that he slams him onto the bar and says, I haven't tortured a human in a long – like it's just mm-hmm. very it, – it feels like Angelus. Yep. Well, I mean, we know that the only link between Angel and Angelus is their passion for Buffy. So I think it's interesting that that kind of brings both of them together in one moment as like Angelus is on board and Angel's on the board at the same moment. Um, But also like every time we're in a bar, which is not a lot of times in Buffy, I always get major Angel vibes because it's since it's supposed to be more of like a, a adult show. And kind of all like the themes and like metaphors that come along with like being an adult and stuff that to deal with. That's why it's a darker show. Buffy's a lot more like growing into yourself and like coming from adolescence into adulthood. And so we do kind of see a lot of like, I mean, we get all of the season sex, but like, um, we don't see a lot of like adult atmospheres as much other than the bronze, mm. but I don't really view that as like an adult atmosphere even though it definitely is yeah yeah for sure i wanted to talk about how i mean i mentioned it earlier but spike talks about how she's the bloody thorn in my bloody side which is an interesting analogy because in the bible paul ends up giving thanks for the thorn in his side as it leads to a closer relationship with god and i was like (laughs) spike's obsession with buffy eventually leads to his redemption so it's kind of an interesting metaphor that's funny i don't know if that was intentional that's really interesting yeah i doubt it was but i i think it's funny whenever people talk about the thorn in their side metaphor because i'm like the bible talks about how paul like is thankful for the thorn in his side it's not like supposed to be something where you're like get it out get it out Mm -hmm. i forget which scene but buffy's wearing like a gray tank top and like khaki pants and where have you guys seen this outfit from oh is this from innocence no, from the wish, it literally looks like oh, military yeah, I about Buffy. That too. And I thought that was such an interesting. I don't know if they did this on purpose, but it'd be genius if they did because in that world, Buffy's supposed to represent the Slayer like Kendra, mm-hmm. who's very non-emotional and is kind of forced to be the separated from people, and that's what ends up killing her in the wish because she's cut off from her friends, she doesn't have anyone around her, and she ends up dying because of it. Yeah, and she's wearing like it's like almost spot on. I think it's the exact same tank top. I will like, I'm willing to like die on that grave. Um, <laughs> I think the pants are different, obviously, but it yeah, looks I noticed very that similar. too. I was like, she looks like Wish versus Buffy, and she even has like the mm-hmm. braid and everything too. Yep. Um, the, apparently when Buffy goes into Angel's house, there are two ashtrays on a table in Angel's in like his common area, um, which is supposed to be a specific allusion to Angel's dark side because the only two times that we see Angel smoke in the entire Buffy verse is when he, um, in innocence when, or surprise at the end of surprise where he, um, finds that prostitute and feeds off of her after she's been smoking. Mm -hmm. And then the second time is when he's moving Angel. Yeah, Moody mm-hmm. Angel, and he has like that cigar, and Drusilla and Darla get set on fire. And both those oh. times is when he's channeling like his darker side. Mm-hmm. And so I just think that it's interesting that they show his ashtray. Like there's little things that are popping up in these episodes that are like hints towards Angel turning into Angelus in a few episodes. Um, I thought it was really interesting going back to like the career fair thing when they were talking about Xander's career field. And how, like, he was going to be, um, 
what was prison guard prison guard but i just i think it's really interesting that he was always kind of going to go into a career field that was not going to require college and they have that whole you know talk about kind of like school and stuff and you can just tell like xander is very down on himself but i just think xander's character is very consistent yeah he is uh, a little fun fact is Bianca Lawson's stunt double is named April Whedon, not not the same as Joss Whedon, <laughs> spelled differently. And she's also the same stunt double for Nikki Wood in Fool for Love. Isn't that cool? Oh, yeah, that is cool. Huh. She got to play two different slayers, which I'm like, lucky girl. I know. What the heck? Oh, one small thing. And this is, I know this is probably just me who thinks this, but when she's kind of like walking down the hall and is like scared and vulnerable. And then she decides to go to, like, Angel's place. Every time I rewatch it, and I'm not really, like, paying attention to, like, what the title of the episode is, I always kind of think that it's, like, surprise. Where she's going to go, and I'm like, oh my gosh, is this when it happens? And then I, like, realize, like, oh, he doesn't even show up. You mean Innocence when she comes after the after the No, and Surprise when she, like, um, spends the night with him. She goes over to his house. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Like, I, I always think she's going to go there, and he's going to be there. And that's what starts things up. Because she's all, like, vulnerable and sad, and she, like, goes to his house. But, like, I forget that he doesn't even show up the whole night. Which is both yeah. times that she's woken up in his bed, and he hasn't been there. Poor Buffy. <laughs> I feel yeah. so bad for her. And you notice how she has, like, that sweet smile when she wakes up. Like, she just got, like, a great night's sleep. I know, And she feels yeah. all, like, rested, and then, uh-huh. you know, Kendra's there. Because <laughs> she feels safe. Even though, like, Angel wasn't there when she fell asleep, she felt safe in his place. Yeah. All right, so the last thing I have, and I was, I thought this was really interesting. So Buffy is jumpy and suspicious of everyone when she's walking down the hallway. And you know how they have that shot of the officer who ends up being the person who tries yeah. to kill her, like one of the three? I think it's interesting that Buffy, even when she's really stressed, her instincts are still correct. Like she's suspicious of several different people, but one of them is the actual bad guy. And I think that that's really interesting that like if Mm. when she is not stressed and is able to actually hone, she probably would have uh, suspected that person even more. But fun fact, the actress who plays the officer that's supposed to kill Buffy plays the same character who goes to kill Faith in season four of angel the lady that's sent by the first to go kill faith in prison it's the same actress oh no way yeah they never say if it's the same character and i don't know that it was actually written to be but my head canon tells me that mm. the first has been orchestrating all of this mm. and that the order taraka actually is an agent of the first and that this lady, like, is continuation of that is the lady eventually goes to try to kill Faith. But I just thought that was really cool. Well, also, she was in jail. So right. She yeah. probably was sent to jail after this. I feel like it's her. It has to be. Yeah. My head canon says it is. Like, yeah. you can't you can't take that away from me. I, but, like I mean, because it makes sense, like, location-wise. Like, did she be yeah. sent to jail? Yeah. And then literally that's where Faith is, where she attacks her. Because in my mind, I was like, oh, but that doesn't make sense because she'd be in jail. And then I was like, wait, no, that's literally where she was attacked. Um, Is it on purpose that they decided to have Buffy take the test and say that she's going to be a cop and then have the cop be the one to, like, be the villain? Is there, like, a reason why I don't know. That's something we should ask everyone because I'm really curious. I mean, we haven't even gotten to that yet. That's the next episode. Because they could have chosen, like anyone though like i feel like the fact that they're like oh your test said that you're going to be a cop and then have the person be a cop 
Maybe the fact that she felt like comfortable and like safe yes, around her. Yes, I think that's what it is because this is a person that's in authority. They're supposed to take care of her and protect her. Could and be. the lady already had a gun right there. I think this is another opportunity yeah. for them to bring in guns because they don't use them a whole lot. No. But it's interesting that when they do use them, it's always very shocking. And so it would make a lot of sense that this like – this would be the easiest way for this person to get to Buffy. She's in the school. She's dressed up as a cop. She knows Buffy has got that career and she has a gun right mm -hmm. there. No one questions it, you know? Well, I think that's everything. And this whole conversation has made me really excited for next week when we can talk yes. about part two because we're just going to be continuing off of this conversation. It's just going to be good. So uh, thanks for listening, you guys. We have had a blast talking about this. Um, before we leave, though, we need to talk about what Dawn would be doing in this episode. Because I definitely think that Buffy would have to take care of Dawn while Joyce is out of town. And so Buffy trying to sneak in through the window would make a lot of sense if Dawn is sleeping in the room next door. I know that the monks created Dawn's storyline around the existing three seasons of Buffy. Or four seasons, actually. So those, like, four years that we saw on television. And I know that she, either way, went to Angel's house. But I'm like, how would she have brought Dawn if Dawn was in this episode? Did she just, like, tag little, like, eight-year-old Dawn with her to Angel's house? Like, how would that work? I think it would well, be more so she'd be like, Dawn, go sleep at a friend's house. Yeah, she went to her friend, like, Kathy. Is, is her friend's name Kathy? I can't remember. I think she used to go sleep at her house. I just house know that she's door. a Tibby from Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. Yeah, well, that would have been one of the, the things that Buffy probably would have done after she found out that these guys were after her. She definitely would have been calling Dawn at school and said, hey, go stay at your friend's house. Go have a sleepover or something. Yeah. But I just – my headcanon is that Buffy had to bring Dawn with her to the ice skating date because <laughs> she oh. couldn't leave her alone. <laughs> and so Buffy's like – instead of the calm shot of her like skating nicely everywhere, you have Dawn over there yelling for her because she keeps falling on her butt every five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> or like Ice Princess where she falls and then like breaks the cushion on her butt. That yeah. literally was Michelle Trachtenberg, too. So foreshadowing. I, I think that I I could just see Buffy, like, eavesdropping in on um, Angel and Buffy's conversation in the bedroom. Like, oh, her Dawn? just, like, yeah, you like, her Dawn? just, like, standing up. Oh, yeah, sorry. Like, standing up against the wall, like, just trying to listen in from the doorway. She's like, Buffy, mom said I was supposed to be asleep an hour ago. You're keeping me up. <laughs> yeah. She's, like, cock blocks her every time she's with Angel. <sighs> yeah. And Angel's like, why are you climbing in through the window? And she's like, oh, because Dawn's here and I don't want her to know that I'm leaving. <laughs> that would be her – that's that's what Marty Noxon needed to do. That was her out for keeping that joke in yeah. because Dawn was they in the house. They just didn't know there was going to be a future reasoning for all these things that we didn't think about. Yep. Wouldn't that be genius if they knew Dawn was going to come in season like five? And so they just made all these plot holes and everyone was like, this is a stupid show. And then they <laughs> – like they don't even think about all these obvious they have, things, like, a and whole then they bring in Don. It. <laughs> yeah, they bring in Don, but that'd be like so gutsy because you'd have like audiences just have to really trust you for like four years until it Honestly, finally makes sense. Well, I think that was a missed opportunity on the show's part. I mean, it wasn't a huge 
uh, focus for season five. But if they had done one episode, like the episode, The Real Me, where it was all about Dawn, if they'd shown it from Dawn's perspective, like showed little moments throughout the show and like there's Dawn there so and you're nostalgic. like, what is happening? Has she been here the whole time? <laughs> like the Inca mummy girl and she's like, Xander's going on a date, you know, like things like yeah. that. <laughs> well, you know, that one episode, uh, the Zeppo with Xander where like, he walks in on um, Buffy and like, <laughs> Angel, like, fighting, and then he's like, okay, and he, like, walks away. I feel like if they did an episode like that for Dawn, mm-hmm. we're, like, we're seeing everything through Dawn's eyes, that would have been so funny. Or, like, so funny. <laughs> it just popped in my head, but, like, the ending of, like, um, Lover's Walk, where, like, <laughs> Buffy and Angel are having that whole, like, tell me you, like, you don't love me, and then having that whole emotional scene. I, I just think it's so humorous in my mind where she's like, all right, I'm going to leave. All right, Don, let's go. And then Don just yeah, walks Don's the like corner, just like watching them be all <laughs> You hear like a honk and Don's like, Bobby, can we go home now? I'm hungry. <laughs> like they're having a really emotional scene or like at the end of um, Enemies where she's like, he's like, you still my girl? And she's like, always. Okay, Don, let's go. <laughs> just takes Don. She's just sitting in the corner reading a book. She's like, all right, let's go now, Don. Don's like, all right. <laughs> She's completely buzzkill the whole emotional scene. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So in my my head canon, Dawn is at the ice rink with them, totally crashing their date. So poor Angel and Buffy have never actually had a full date to themselves. Or like Buffy's like uh like, oh I didn't notice. And Dawn's like, Well, I did. It's freaking ugly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dawn's totally ruins like, it. I could have told you that, Buffy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's funny. All right. Well, I think that's the end of the episode. If you guys have any suggestions for the most outrageously inappropriate places that Dawn could be, please send them because they crack me up. Um, And with that, we will see you guys next week. Bye.